Well, good morning. Uh, that actually really does happen. I did a, marry, a wedding years ago on March Madness, and the Gators were in the semifinal, and uh, most of the people had earbuds in listening to the game instead of the wedding, but not the groom. Smart dude. So <clears throat> if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians? It's a hard copy, mobile device. We'll be looking at 1 Thessalonians this morning. In fact, we're going to take our third look at a single verse, verse 3. And this verse has been so significant because it captures what Paul thinks about when he thinks about the Thessalonians and his time with them when that church began back in Acts 17. Verse 3 says this. Constantly bearing in mind, Paul writing to them, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God, our God and Father. So it was their faith, their love, and their hope that Paul thought about when he thought about the believers there in that city, Thessalonica. When he thought about their work of faith, What was so significant, we looked at this two weeks ago, so this is quick review, is that they demonstrated that faith turns. There's a turning from what you once believed in, what you once trusted in, what you once lived for, and a turning to Jesus. You cannot believe in Jesus without what the Bible calls repentance, a changing of mind from what you once believed, what you once thought to what he has declared true about himself, that Jesus is the son of God, that he died to pay the penalty for your sins, that he was raised from the dead so that you could walk in newness of life and that he will return again. When the Thessalonians heard that message, they turned from their religious ritual and they turned from their worship of idols and they believed in Jesus. And believing in Jesus, very different than just believing something about Jesus. You can believe about without believing in. Saving faith is a believing in more than just a believing about. Demonstrated by a faith that brings then a new life lived for a new Lord. So visually again, they were living for one thing, believing one thing. They turned, they repented, they changed their mind. They believed that Jesus was the only way their sin could be forgiven and their relationship with God could be restored. And as believers now, they lived a new life for a new leader, a new Lord in their life, Jesus Christ. He remembered their work of faith. Second, he remembered their labor of love. When we talked about labor of love last week, we said it's a work. Love works. It's an action It's a labor of love. It's hard, but it's unforgettable. We wrote notes last week expressing a thank you to those who have expressed love to us and have the fingerprint of God on our lives because of how they loved. And we have lots of these notes available. If you want to grab more and encourage other people who have encouraged you in your faith. There might be some in the seat back in front of you. If not, they're in the back of the North Auditorium and in the foyer out here as you exit the South Auditorium. So it's a labor of love that's unforgettable. It's the work of inviting, of welcoming, of providing, of paying, of protecting and helping. And the power of love is that when we love those around us, 
we end up impacting many that we'll never meet. So when, when someone loves me and then I have an opportunity to love others, that is an impact that the person who loved me, though they've never met that person, they have had an impact on them. That is the power and the priority of love. So they turned and believed in Jesus. And Jesus said, you will know my disciples by their their love for one another. So he remembers their work of faith, their labor of love. And now this morning, we want to look at the final thing that they, that Paul remembered the Thessalonians by the steadfastness of, say it, hope. The steadfastness of hope. Where? Hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. So this morning we're going to talk about hope. And we're going to talk about steadfastness of hope. But we'll start with hope first. If you want to get a simple definition of hope, hope is the expectation Hope is the expectation, this is in your notes now in your message memo in the back of your bulletin. Hope is the expectation of what is sure, of what is certain. Now, I want to clarify, because we're taking this from 1 Thessalonians 1, I should be more clear. I didn't write it, but I think you should on your message memo if you're taking notes. You ought to write in front of hope, biblical. Biblical hope is the expectation of what is sure. Because it's a different type of hope than Florida Gators have in their basketball team. Right? That that hope ran out and failed yesterday. See, there's a different hope that we live with in life that's separate from the hope, the certainty that we have in what God has declared. I don't know if you believe this, but I believe this. I believe this is the word of God. I believe this is God breathed. And I believe that he has declared correctly, he cannot tell a lie. And so if he said it, it is true. If he said it's going to happen, it will happen. That is the promise of God. Biblical hope is the expectation of what is sure. It's just different than lots of the rest of the life. Hey, as Jags fan, there's $50 million guaranteed on a guy who might work, right? That's nothing against Nick Foles. They, but the Jags put $50 million on a quarterback, guaranteed money, and it might work. And it might not. And so, if you're willing, if they're willing to put 50 million on something that might happen, uh, I don't know what to put the worth on this. That which absolutely certainly will. So, think this morning, not just hope in stuff that may or may not work, quarterback hope. Think biblical hope. The certainty, the expectation that what God has said certainly will happen. That's what we want to consider this morning. Now, why is it certain? Well, I'll go back to our verse. Steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. It's a certain hope because of what or who it is rooted in. The one who cannot lie and the one who will always be faithful. The one who cannot fail. 
Hope, biblical hope, is certain because of the person it is rooted in, in the person of Jesus Christ. So, do you have hope this morning if you're a Christ follower? I hope that you have hope. And not a quarterback hope, but a certainty, a confidence that what God has declared is absolutely true. It will happen. So I'm going to take a a few quick minutes to take the cream off the top. Because we could be in here for days if we talked about all the promises of God that give us certain hope. But I'm going to just take the cream off the top. Romans chapter 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love where? Love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You seem reluctant to say that. Christ died for us. God demonstrated his own love toward us. And that Christ died for us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us, quick learners, sorry, us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Yeah, see that ties together, our Lord. So what's the promise of God that is absolutely certain, not quarterback-ish, absolutely certain? That he loves me fully, fully, completely, perfectly. He, he loves me fully and perfectly. He could not love me more and he could not love me better. That's pretty strong. That's worth more than 50 million. And you may go, oh, come on, it's not. Well, I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't take 50 million. I am saying... I am saying that the scripture says there is an uncertainty in 50 million, that there's no uncertainty about the love of God fully and completely and perfectly for you. That's strong. That's hope. It's a hope that extends to this promise because he's loved me fully and perfectly. We know that God causes all things together God causes all things to work together for good to those who, who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So he loves me fully, perfectly, and he is working always, 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 always for my good. That's a promise. He's always working for my good. It is the extension that he loves me, how? Fully and perfectly. Is there anything going on in your life right now that you go, "Ah, I'm not sure he's working for my good. If you're a child of God, you can know for certain, 100% hope, confidence, he's working for your good. You may not see it, you may not feel it, you might not even think it, but you can know it. It's always, always for your good. That's the love of God. And the love of God demonstrated in this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life where? In Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. So the promise is not only that God has loved us, but that Christ has paid the penalty for my sin. That by his death, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. The full and perfect love of God demonstrated in the death of the Son that we might have eternal life freely fully. But he didn't only die, he rose. Check out this. Therefore he, and the he here is Jesus, so read it that way. Therefore Jesus is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you know that that's why Jesus lives? He lives to, to, in our terms, he lives to pray for you. That's pretty strong. It's strong in not only the fact that, that Jesus prays for us, it's strong in this way. Moment of confession. Ever promised to pray for somebody, but then didn't? Confessional hand in there. You promised to pray and then you didn't. Well, you guys haven't promised to pray for many people then. <laughs> because it's pretty inevitable. You say, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then, oh, did that count when I promised to pray for him? Did that count as a prayer? Ever wondered that question? <laughs> Jesus has promised. He lives to make intercession for you. And he, uh, and he does. It's not a quarterback promise. It's a God who cannot lie promise. He paid the penalty in his death, and he lives today. You want people to pray for you? I get that. <laughs> you have the promise that Jesus is interceding for you. That which you've been praying for, that's pretty strong. That's hope. So the son died to pay the penalty, and the son lives to make intercession for us. And then there's this hope from Ephesians 1. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, so he's talking to the Ephesians there about their faith, how they turned and believed when they heard the gospel. What happened? When you believed, you were sealed, where? In him. How? With the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, the promise of scripture is this, to all who will hear the gospel and turn from what they want trusted in and believe in Jesus, that person, the spirit of God, will come and dwell within them. And part of the promise of the indwelling Christ in you who have believed is that he is the deposit, non-refundable. He is the guarantee of your inheritance in the saints. He is the guarantee that you have life in Jesus. The indwelling Holy Spirit. See, the confidence of my assurance of my salvation is not in that I live a good life. Because if I can lose it by doing bad, that means I can only earn it by doing good. 
And salvation is a, a free gift. And part of the free gift of God in Christ is the pouring of the Holy Spirit into the heart of the believer as the deposit, the guarantee that once in the Father's hand, no one can take him out. That's good hope. That's worth more than 50. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called you by his own glory and excellence. So, do you understand? Do you have what you need to be a godly wife? You have what you need to be a godly husband. You have what you need to be a godly business owner. You have what you need to be a godly neighbor. Yes? Yes. The, the promise of the indwelling spirit is not only that I am guaranteed to be sealed by the indwelling spirit, but that I have a, the full supply for godliness. I have everything that I need to live a godly life. That's one phenomenal promise. It's the promise that I didn't know when I first began following Jesus. And it was, it is the promise that opened my eyes to really what it means to walk with Jesus. That the one who died for me and lives to make intercession for me dwells within me through the person of the Holy Spirit, giving me everything that I need to do everything he's called me to do. That's the certain hope that I have in Jesus. And see, that makes all the difference because sometime in this coming week, many of you who have been praying, Lord, by your grace and power, would at least 110 more people find life in Jesus? And would I be a part of that? You're going to have an opportunity to have a gospel conversation. And then you're going to get scared. And then you're going to get nervous. And you're going to be tempted to shrink back. And in that moment, either you're going to shrink back in fear, feeling inadequate, or you're going to believe, I have absolute certainty, a promise, that I have everything that I need to do what God has called me to do in this moment, and you're going to step in instead of shrink back. You're going to speak up instead of stay silent, and you're going to share by God's grace and power in your life. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. Now, that's, that's just a real quick cream off the top. Lots, lots more, but we can't cover. Here's the question for us. With some of the some of the promises of God in front of us. Are the promises of God equally meaningful to you every single day? I got an honest person on the front row. Are the promises of God equally meaningful to you every single day? Are they equally true? Yes or no? Yes. Are they equally meaningful? Uh, yeah, I don't. if they are, then they don't mean much to you most of the days then. See, Thursday night, I'm teaching this, and I'm about to go crazy because it's, I don't know, a long day at work, and they're thinking about the gators being on, who knows? All I know is that I was laying some of the best promises of God, and they were all like, uh, uh, uh. They'd have been more excited if I had to put a $100 bill in their hand. And some of you, quite frankly, would be more excited if I put a $100 bill in your hand when you walked out the door instead of these promises. And that other times, 
You wouldn't trade the promises of God because of what you're going through in your life. You wouldn't trade that for 100 bucks. You with me now? See, sometimes, I'm not saying that they're more true sometimes than other times. They're always completely true because they're rooted in the unchanging, eternal, faithful God who cannot lie. So they're always true. They're just not always as meaningful to you because of what's going on in your life. Sometimes they're just kind of words like you just wrote down. Yeah, 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 yeah. And sometimes they're just life. But the scripture declares what they're intended to be for us. As God has revealed himself and declared his promises, that what these promises and who he is are intended to be. And he paints a picture for us. So I'm going to invite you. We're going to have three passages on the side screens here in south over north. I want you to read them with me and capture what are these promises intended to be day in, day out in our lives. All right. First, Proverbs 18 says, read this out loud with me if you would. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. How about this? Psalm 27, verse 5. Read this out loud. What's the promises of God? Who is intended to be, to be for us? Read it with me. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. And then this. Psalm 91, verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions. And under his wings, you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bore. So, what are the promises of God intended to be to us? Shelter. Covering. Refuge. Protection. Why are they more meaningful to you some days than other days? Because sometimes life is 70 with a cool breeze. And you don't need shelter. You don't want shelter. You want to be out. And other, you've been to the beach too long. You got there early. You didn't put enough sunscreen or you didn't put it on early enough. And you're just, it's two o'clock in the afternoon and you're just cooking. You've been there and you're like, oh, I just can't take it anymore. And you put a shirt on and it makes zero difference. It's just like blazing through the shirt. And you desperately need, you definitely need, oh, just give me, get me out of it. Have you never been there? Whew. Man, there's days where I go, I love this. Oh, I've just had too much. I need shade. I need You see, shade doesn't change the temperature outside, outside, right? Doesn't change. It does not change at all what's happening here. It only changes what's happening under the shade. And he says, who I am and my promises to you regardless of what's going on in your life. They're, a, they are intended to be a shelter, a refuge, a shield, a covering. 
pouring rain, a refuge. Blazing sun, a refuge. And so sometimes it's really meaningful. For some of you right now, you're going, my life is just like a hurricane and I could use shelter. Blazing sun. Every single day, you're kind of living on the edge of, man, I need shelter. And that is the hope that we have. Absolute certain, not quarterback hope, absolute certain, unchanging, cannot lie, God hope that we have. Now, I want us to make an important observation. Back to verse 3, still open in front of you. He says to them, bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. So I will confess to you, the umbrella doesn't say unchanging, immovable hope, right? Not like Proverbs 18, 10, a strong tower. This is my umbrella. I've seen it get thrown across our property. So, but I couldn't really build a strong tower between the last worship song and the message. So this is the picture. But the hope never changes. The hope never gets blown away. The hope never gets knocked down. So you and I, as followers of Jesus, always live in absolute, full, and complete hope. Or maybe not. Have you ever been worried, been afraid, thought, oh no, what's going on? Has your hope ever diminished? Yeah. Not because God's promises have changed, but because when he remembered them, he remembered their steadfastness of hope. So what in the world does steadfastness of hope mean? Here's the picture. It's a powerful one. Steadfast is remaining under. That's the literal definition of the Greek word used here, remaining under. I'm not defining it this way because I have an umbrella on stage. <laughs> I'm using an umbrella because the word means remaining under. And when Paul remembered the Thessalonians, he remembered when persecution started, when stuff got hard, they remained under. Because it got hard. Remember the guy, Jason, if you've been with us? My, my wife said to me, I didn't even know Jason was in the Bible. And I went, yeah, most of us have forgotten that Jason's in the Bible. But Jason's an awesome expression of steadfastness of hope because he came to Christ, he turned, and he believed in Jesus and persecution. He's getting arrested for his faith and he remained under. He didn't 
step out. See, it's remaining under. It's instead of running out. Instead of bailing. Instead of saying, no, I don't want to, I can't stay here. Now, what, what causes us to, to be tempted to run out? Well, a major cause for tempting every single one of us to run out is when life gets hard, when circumstances get hard. If it's financial, you get tempted to, to run. If it's health, you get tempted to run. And by tempted to run, I mean this. You're tempted to, to doubt what? When life gets hard, what are you tempted to doubt? He loves me. He sees me. He cares for me. Because it seems like if he loved me and saw me and cared for me, then he'd fix it. And steadfastness of hope, friends, is recognizing when I don't feel his love or see his love, I'm not, I don't feel like he's doing what a caring father would do. I remain under. I stay believing his promises. I don't run out. Can I give you an example of a story that you know well, many of you? Many of you know that God's people, the Israelites, were enslaved in Egypt, living as slaves, horrible life. And then God graciously and according to his mercy, by his work entirely, he delivered them from slavery into Egypt. And he said, I'm going to take you out of slavery. I'm going to take you in to a promised land. But on the way, after they were already out of slavery, rescued by God, on the way to the promised land, they got hungry and they got thirsty and it took too long. And you know what they said? You know the story. What'd they say? I want to go back to Egypt. Now, any sane, reasonable person goes, what do you mean? You want to go back into slavery? Who would do that? Well, the same person who would profess to be a child of God and life got hard and they went back to their alcohol. That's the same person who would go back to Egypt. Or they would go back to their pornography. Or they'd go back to that immoral relationship. You see, when we have the covering of God upon which we are invited to live under and things get hard, we go, I don't really like what God's doing in my life. I'm going to go do what I think will make me happy, what I think would be better. I'm going to pursue my own way. It's Abraham and Sarah. We waited on the Lord. We waited on the Lord. He never gave us a child. He said he was going to give us a child. We're too old. We can't have children. I'll sleep with your servant, Hagar. And what do they do? They run out from the promises of God because it doesn't seem like he is doing what he'd said. You ever run? Oh, I know. I know all of us have run. All of us have, have been invited here, but we've forfeited. Hard circumstances have caused us to go. In fact, 
to be steadfast. The psalmist said, I would have despaired. And some of us have despaired. He says, I would have despaired unless... Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You understand what he's saying? He was saying, I was living under your promises, but life was hard. It was miserable. I did not see what you were doing, but I believed that just because it wasn't now, it would be according to your promises because you cannot lie. And so I don't despair even in the midst of heart. I stay under. I don't go and find my own pleasure and find my own relief and find my own security and my own fleshly pursuits. He says, wait for the Lord. And this may be a word for some of you this morning, right now. Because you're gone. I just thought it was going to be easier to walk with Jesus. And you're tempted to, to run back, to start trusting yourself and not stay under. And the word of the Lord says, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Take courage that he loves me. He could not love me more. He loves me fully. He loves me perfectly. He's demonstrated in his son who died for me and who lives to pray for me. He's demonstrated by pouring his spirit into my heart as a pledge of my guarantee of my inheritance. He loves me and he's demonstrated by giving me all that I need to stay under. Don't bail. I know life's hard for lots of you. Don't bail. Steadfast in hope. Remain under the promises of God. The prayer of Proverbs 30 is, keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. A prayer seldom prayed by any of us. But this is the prayer and you'll see why. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion that I not be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? Who needs the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. You say, he's gone, when I want, when I need, and things get hard, I'm tempted to run out and provide for myself. No? Wait. Wait for the Lord. Don't run out. And profane the name of the Lord. Don't run after your own desires. Don't trust in yourself and profane the name of the Lord. But he also says, don't make me rich. Because as weird as unusual as this may sound, pride and riches will tempt me to run as much as hard circumstances will. It's ironic to me that hard circumstances and then pride and riches, easy and hard, will tempt me to run. The psalmist declared, before I was afflicted, before I was afflicted, I went astray. In other words, before, when life wasn't hard, I went astray. 
why, why are we tempted to abandon the promises of God and, and the commands of God? Because understand, the commands of God and the, and the promise of God are the same umbrella. Why, when life is good, are we tempted to step out and do our own thing and go our own way? Why? So who needs the Lord? My bank account's full. My health's good. I love my job. My kids are awesome. Who needs the Lord? You see... When pride and riches are part of my life, it's going to tempt me to run because I'll doubt I need the Lord. Now, you understand? We, we have been given absolute certain promises of God. And now I've just said from the scriptures that when life is easy, be careful. You'll be tempted to run. And when life is hard, be careful. You'll be tempted to run. So in other words, myself included, every single one of us in here are prone to not be steadfast in hope, not to remain. Either to put our hope in things that can't hold Because my bank account may be good today, but who knows what tomorrow will hold. And my health may be good today, but who knows what tomorrow will hold. And my family may be good today, but who knows what tomorrow. You understand? If I put my hope in that stuff, I'm a fool because I'm trusting in things that can change like that. And I'm tempted to run when it gets hard. And to go back to my comfort food, whatever it is. So how do you stay under? It's more direct than you might think. Here's how you remain steadfast in hope. Straight from 1 Thessalonians, the end of the book. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you who are in Christ Jesus. You want to stay under? You want to... Be steadfast in hope, then rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. Speak to those briefly. The disciplines of remaining under, not running, first rejoice always. It struck me, now maybe some of you are in much, 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 much better shape and you can do this. But have you ever gone for a run and three miles into the run just started singing, not in your head, but singing like out of your mouth? You're singing while you run? Why don't you do that? Well, I can tell you why I don't do that. Because I'm gasping for air. That's why. So I can't sing. And uh, When I was running, my kids were smaller and I wanted to spend time with them. I'd say, okay, you ride the bike beside me while I run. But here's the rule. you got to talk to me because I'm trying to breathe. So they'd, they'd talk while I ran because I can't sing and run at the same time. That's a, that's a physical illustration. Here's a spirituality. You cannot 
rejoice always, and run out at the same time. You're going to do one or the other. Some of you, you're doing one or the other right now. Either your week has been full, even in the midst of hard, your week has been full of rejoicing in all things, rejoicing always, or you've stopped rejoicing, and as soon as you start, stop rejoicing, what do you do? I don't know why God doesn't do that. I mean, I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Do you know why grumbling is so offensive to God? Because it's dissing his shelter. It's dissing him. He's going, he doesn't really love, I mean, he says he loves me, but easy to say it. Now, I know you're, you're way too civilized and spiritual to actually say things like that to God. But hear me clearly, when you grumble, that's what you're saying about God. You're saying that his love's on like a C minus level. So either we're rejoicing or we're running. I hope that'll stick with you. Rejoice always. Second, pray continuously. Pray continuously. Why? Because you have a God who loves you and couldn't love you more. He loves you perfectly, fully. Pray continuously. Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. It's that simple. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Let your request be made known to God. So I'm staying under, Lord. I'm rejoicing. It doesn't mean that I'm not asking the, the Lord to push the hurricane away. But I'm rejoicing and praying. I'm asking. But asking how? Let your request be made known to God with, it says, if you don't know this, Philippians 4, 6, with thanksgiving. In fact, here'd be a great exercise for you to do. Lay Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6, aside 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, and you'll find Paul saying the exact same thing in both passages. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And here's what you'll get. He repeats himself. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. That's what he says in both passages. Rejoice always, pray continually, in everything give thanks. Why? Because the thanksgiving is the demonstration of faith. I trust you. I would have despaired unless I had believed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anything in your life you're not thanking the Lord for? A brokenness, a job situation. You go, that's, there's no way I'd thank the Lord for that. Really? Because it's outside of what he can do? Thank you, Lord. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. And you will be steadfast. Not rejoicing in your circumstances, rejoicing in the Lord. So here's how I would ask us to respond both here in South and over in North. This may seem a little strange, 
But I want to begin by inviting anyone who would say, hey, right now my life's pretty good. It's not perfect, but it's like the psalmist said, it's green pastures and still waters. My life's pretty good. I wonder if you'd be willing to stand up. Don't be, don't be afraid if you'd be saying, yeah, my life's pretty good. Not perfect, and you're not saying by faith, it's good. You're going, circumstantially right now, it's pretty good. This is fascinating to me. Now, why in the world would I have you stand up? Because you are in danger of running and loving the green pastures more than the good shepherd, loving the still waters, the gift more than the giver. This message is for you as much as for the ones who are seated saying, life's hard. You need your hope in the Lord just as much as the people seated because you are prone to go, who needs the Lord right now? And I want you to, I want you to bow with me. And there as you stand here in South Over North, I want you to just before the Lord, tell him, Lord, life's good. Thank you. And I rejoice in you, not in my circumstances. I need you. Would you bow with me? Those who are standing, would you say, Lord, I love you, not my circumstances. I worship you, not my life. I rejoice in you. I give thanks to you. I trust in you. Lord, I pray for all who are standing that they would never put their hope in that which may change tomorrow, that their hope would be in you, their dependence would be in you and upon you. I want to pray now, if you stay standing, I want to pray for those who are seated. But I want to read to you as the prayer, the promises of God to you for whatever's hard in your life right now. Here's the certain, sure word of the Lord to you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. All your promises are yes and amen. All your promises are yes and amen. If you're seated, I wonder if you would, there in the quietness of your heart, agree with the psalmist. Praise the Lord, my soul. 
forget not all his benefits. You forgive all our sins, heal our diseases. You redeem my life from the pit and crown me with love and compassion. You satisfy our desires with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. All your promises are yes and amen. All your promises are yes and amen. His invitation to you, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You, Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. All your promises are yes and amen. All your promises are yes and amen. No matter if you're standing or you're seated right now, why don't we declare this out loud that we're going to say, I will rest in your promises because our confidence is in him and his faithfulness. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. And if you're seated, why don't you stand with us now? With one voice, we'll declare this again, that we will rest. before the Lord right now I wonder if if you would be willing to to by faith give thanks in everything for those who were seated if you would specifically give thanks to the Lord for that which kept you in your seat for that which is hard right now would you thank him any who were standing that which anything you would be holding back that you would say right now Lord I give you thanks for this thank you for the brokenness thank you for the sickness thank you for the heart thank you for the unknown
Lord, we give thanks that we know that you love us fully and perfectly. We give thanks that we know we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We give thanks that our sins are forgiven. We give thanks that our hope is a certainty of eternal life with you in heaven. So by faith, Lord, we declare the joy of the Lord is our strength. I wonder if you would join with Matt and the band in declaring this, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Though the tears may fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. From the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart, I will praise you, Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness I dance, the shadows I see. The joy of the Lord is my strength. When I cannot see you with my eyes, let faith arise to you. When I cannot feel your hand in mine, let faith arise to you. God of mercy and love, I will praise you, Lord. Oh, you shine with glory, Lord of light, I feel alive with you. In your presence now I come alive, I am alive with you. There is strength when I say, I will praise you. that for some you feel it and experience it and some that was a declaration of faith but I want you to take these words with you 
what we just declared. There is strength when I say, I will praise you, Lord. There is strength when I say, I will praise you, Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you who are in Christ Jesus. God bless and be steadfast in hope. God bless.